So glad that you get to be here with us. Uh, what a wonderful time it is to get to be together, even though that we're sometimes separated by a chair or two or by houses, socially distant, we get to be here together, experience God's presence in community with other people. I'm so glad that you're able to join us and so glad that we're here as well together. Um, we're in the book of Acts and we're on Acts chapter 21 today. We've been kind of going through the book of Acts, seeing how God wants to share and speak to us uh, through that specific book. And today we land on Acts 21. But I want to start out by just asking you, have you ever missed a moment in your life? Missed like a, a big opportunity of some sort? I know I have before. And as I think back on some of my regrets, and probably as you think back on some of your regrets as well, they're not always just the bad things that we've done in life. A lot of times, our regrets are tied to a moment that we never stepped into. So that's those, those moments where an opportunity comes and, and you feel like you should do something and you just don't take that step forward to step into that opportunity or that moment. Maybe it's something that you wish you would have spoken up and said and you never did. Maybe it's a moment with family and you just let it pass by. Maybe it was a moment with a friend that you wanted to share the gospel and you never did. Maybe it was some type of opportunity for education or business or things like that. And there was just something that caused you to not step forward. Oftentimes, it's the missed moments in our life. Those are the ones that end up, we look back on and we regret the most. I wish I would have done that because I can't do it anymore. Or I wish I would have said that and spoken up, yet I never did. It's those moments that when we look back, sometimes can haunt us the rest of our lives. So why is that? Why are these moments that maybe cause us some type of regret or feelings like that so difficult to step into? These big moments, these great moments. I believe oftentimes it's because they come with tough wrapping around them. It's these moments that are wrapped with risk, aren't they? It's moments that are wrapped maybe with pain, moments that might be wrapped with, wrapped with suffering or maybe some type of awkward moment. And as a church, as Christians, we must learn to do difficult things. We must learn to do hard things. The stories that we oftentimes love the most, whether they be fiction or true, it's these stories of characters or people who choose to step into a really hard moment. A difficult moment instead of deciding to stay safe or not say something or not do something. It's these moments that make great people great. Them making the choice to step into moments. Think of like stories like Bilbo Baggins. It's when he was in his little hobbit hole and he was there, and there was this opportunity that he presented himself, and Gandalf said something to the effect, if you remember, Bilbo Baggins, when did your grandmother's belongings and dishes become so important to you? And it was there in that moment, right, that he got to choose to step into this great story, that it wasn't just what those people did in the adventure that they went on, it was the adventure that we went on there and back again. Or the famous story of when Steve Jobs recruited John Scully from PepsiCo. 
There was this famous line that Steve Jobs gave uh, uh, an executive, John Schooley at Pepsi. He said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? And it was there in that moment that John Scully got to make the decision. It's either going to be something that they do or it's something that we do. And there he took that step and got to witness a technology change uh, around the entire world. Here in Acts 21 is this story that we've been reading and seeing about not only Jesus' ascension into heaven, but then the early church formation. And we've been looking at one character in particular the last couple weeks, who is Paul. And Paul here in Acts 21, he's moving towards Jerusalem, but he knows it's not going to be easy. We looked at some of that last week. He steps into this moment, into this story that he knows is going to be some of the most trying times of his life. He knows there'll be difficulty. He knows there'll be imprisonment and maybe even his death. But he has this moment that it can be something that he then is able to look back and go, we did great things. I was a part of maybe if not one of the greatest stories, the greatest story of all time, which is God's story. So here in Acts 21 is where we find ourselves. So if you want to open there, let's read sections of this together. Acts 21, starting in verse 4, says, We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. And we'll come back to that piece because that's kind of an interesting little uh, moment there. But it says, when we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to shore with us. There we knelt, we prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who was a prophet at the time, who who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived in Judea. He came over, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and his hands with it, and he said... The Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt, who is Paul, owner of this belt be bound by these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all the weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even die for the sake of our Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we could not persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Then as it moves in, uh, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. And it says, when we arrived uh, in verse 17, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James. And all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of all the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. And after hearing this, they praised God, and probably rightfully so. And then we see these, uh, then Paul is uh, taken, and we're going to see this starting in verse uh, 27. Then the seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the providence of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him. Verse 30, the whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment, these were like the police officers in Jerusalem, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Nice. Verse 37, as Paul was about to be taken inside, 
he said to the commander, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. And then we'll see uh, in chapter 22 next week, we're going to see that Paul, he's imprisoned. And it's going to be these final moments, chapter 22 through 28, where Paul is able to share the gospel with some some very important figures uh, in Jerusalem at the time. And he's kind of shipped around, and these are kind of his final words before he gets shipwrecked into Malta. But here we see Paul has some really difficult decisions to make, these moments that he doesn't have to step into. He even had some of his friends tell him, don't do it. I think God told me you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But what's interesting is what we see here is that God had already been pulling on Paul's heart. The Spirit had already shown Paul in chapter 20 of the decision that he should make. And, you know, we need to learn to do these make difficult decisions and step into them. And if we're going to do that, I just have a few couple thoughts from this whole passage that we just read about how do we step into those moments that God has for us? How do we begin to step into God's story for our world? And the first is this, is to learn to hear God's voice. We need to learn to hear God's voice. You know, every time I show up to church, I rarely meet someone that says, I'm really not looking to hear God's voice today. Like, I'm just, I'm just here. No, we're all here, and we want to hear what God has for us. And what we learned in, in chapter 20 was this, if you remember. Um, and now, this is Paul saying, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me. That right here, we already see that the Holy Spirit has spoken to Paul. Paul had heard God's voice, and he says that, The Spirit tells me in the city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing of the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news of the wonderful grace of God. Good news. And our world today still needs good news, doesn't it? Our world needs good news. Paul had already heard this word to say, you're going to go to Jerusalem and there's going to be hard things there. So then when he confronts his Christian brothers and sisters and they say, oh, the Lord has told us that you should not go to Jerusalem. Paul was like, what's going on, people? Why are you doing this? We need to learn to be able to discern God's voice. And part of that is difficult for us. It's difficult for me because in our world that we live in today, we have hearing problems. And sometimes our hearing problems are real and they're physical, but a lot of times it's much more of a spiritual condition than a physical condition because we live in a world that we're bombarded all day long through social media, through billboards, through television, uh, uh, through political figures, through all kinds of stuff. We're bombarded all day long about a million different messages and that we have to learn how to filter out What is uh, God saying and what is God not saying? You know, God speaks primarily through scripture. And so for me, I always get just like a little bit leery when someone says, God told me so, only because God told me so has also led to a lot of really bad things in our world over time. But any time that God speaks, it should always align with the scripture itself. God speaks primarily through scripture. Because God has already spoken. He's already been spoken. It's been recorded. It's, we have the scripture. And anything that anyone should ever say should align with what God has already spoken. And so 
while God speaks primarily through scripture, we can take advice from other spiritual leaders, but it doesn't mean you have to take advice from everyone. We need to learn to be able to not only distill what is biblical out in the world, but also the advice coming in because there is faith-filled advice and then there is faithless advice. And the story that we saw here is Paul had faithless advice from other disciples who said, oh, God told us that you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. That was faithless advice. They were saying, we don't want you to get hurt. We don't want you to experience hardship. You might be imprisoned. You might be captured. And so I think God is saying, don't go. That's faithless advice. But faith-filled advice says that we believe that God, uh, through his sovereignty, already has things planned out. And so we can go and move within that and do difficult things. We can hear what God is saying through his scripture and through other people and then step into that. That also means that we need to live in faith and not fear. Right there, amen, right? We gotta live in faith and not fear. It's easy today to just live in fear day to day. And it's like, who knows what tomorrow brings? You know, that used to be kind of a cliche statement until 2020, right? (laughs) Like, it can't get any worse than this until 2020, right? Who knows what tomorrow brings? But in spite of how crazy 2020 is, we still have to live in faith and not live in fear. Because the Bible tells us that that Jesus came and he has not come and given us a spirit of fear, but he has come and given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. We live in faith, not in fear. And so that means we also take faith-filled advice and not faithless advice. And so here, remember Paul's words. He's like, why all the weeping? You're breaking my heart. I I am ready to not only be jailed in Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And then when they heard this, they're like, well, that's all we can do. And it went on. Paul was able to live in faith, not in fear. Because he knows, like we know, that God is in control. God is sovereign. He already knows what tomorrow brings. And our world needs Jesus. Sometimes, you know, we get pulled way too far one way, and another time we get pulled way too far the other way, and we have to learn to recenter and know that Jesus is the first and foremost. The world needs Jesus. If you look on social media, it needs Jesus. If you look on television and news, it needs Jesus. If you look within politics, it needs Jesus. You look in education, it needs Jesus. Anywhere that you look today, it needs Jesus. Jesus. And that is our first and our foremost primary concern as Christians is how can I bring the gospel into a hurting world? How can the gospel uh, affect my neighbors? How can the gospel affect my school? How can the gospel affect my work? It is Jesus in Jesus alone in which should be our focus, our concern, and our goal, like Paul said. Jesus is the one who ultimately heals. Jesus is the one who ultimately unites. Jesus is the one who ultimately comforts and loves and softens hearts. But if we live in fear and not in faith, other people in the world miss out on the hope of the gospel itself. It misses out on who Jesus is. Jesus does not come wrapped in a package of fear, but in, of faith and hope to the world. 
Because fear can be so contagious, but so can faith. Faith can be contagious. Sometimes it just takes a little spark of faith, and it can ignite something in people's hearts and lives. And we need people to remind us in our life about what what eternity is truly about. You know, there's this famous story of a missionary named John G. Patton. And back in the 1800s, John Patton was one of the first missionaries who went to some of these uh, cannibalistic islands. And he wanted to go and reach these people um, and have them experience the gospel in Jesus. And so he's kind of on his way, and his congregation after one Sunday kind of comes up to him. And one guy comes up to him, and and, uh, the quote here uh, of John Patton, he says, this man came up to me and says, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. And so John Patton replied and said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, a.k.a. you're old. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, meaning you're going to die. And there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. That is a faith-filled response. That is the like mic drop back away, right? I, it doesn't matter. You're going to be eaten by worms in your grave, Mr. Dickinson. And you know what? Who cares if I'm eaten by worms or eaten by cannibals? We all end in the same place. But he says, but he has this conditional statement, but only if I'm serving and honoring the Lord. We can live in faith. In stories like that, that is faith-filled living that we can do difficult things. Because what we do, the assignment that God, what he has for us, if we remember about Acts 20, that we all have a specific assignment by God that only you can fulfill, that God wants to use you to bring hope and faith and life to a hurting world and to a hurting people. Only you can accomplish the assignment that God has for you. And what we do, that assignment is worth it. What is at stake in our world, it's worth it. People's souls are worth it. Don't forget why you're here, what we're doing. It's easy to forget and not see where God is active. And so not only do we got to hear God's voice and we got to live with faith and not fear, we also have to see and be in tune with where God is active in our world. Why some of these leaders, you know, if you notice on the shore, all Paul's friends were like, don't go to Jerusalem. You might get taken and be in prison there. But then when he goes to the leaders in Jerusalem, they don't have the same response. And I think part of that is because Paul reminded them about all the things that God is doing and what is at stake. What is, what is at stake and how it is worth it. In uh, 19, remember it says, after greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles. Here is where God is active through this ministry. And after hearing this, what did they do? Did they say, get out of here? No, they praised God. They praised God for everything that God had been doing. And so we need to see also and recognize where God is at work. It's so easy today too. We are all like professionals at seeing where the enemy is at work, aren't we? We're so good at that, at seeing in other people around our world, like the enemy's working over here, or we see the enemy in our world over here, or the enemy in the news here, or the enemy over here, oh, and this is evil, and this is evil, and this is evil. It's easy. We're good at that. 
but sometimes we don't have like our spiritual antenna up to see where God is at work. Because you know that God's not just sleeping. God is not just passively letting the world go to hell in a handcart, even though sometimes we might think that. But God is working and he's moving and he is active. That more Muslims come to Christ per missionary than any other group in our world. That means for every one one missionary, there are tens of hundreds of people coming to faith in Muslim communities. That means there's like one missionary for like multiple North churches all combined trying to figure out how do we continue and administer and reach people. Just one. And there's not enough. If you look at taking what, if you take a look at what's happening in Africa, it is a modern day revival. A modern day revival. You don't even have to go that far to like look into this. Go and just look up like Reinhard Bonnke's stuff in Africa. Go look at some of the pictures of like his revivals before he passed just in the last recently of what took place in Africa. I mean, we're talking like these huge planes of millions. I mean, millions of people descending upon to hear the gospel of Christ. We're talking like if, I mean, just imagine if all of Spokane, if every single person in Spokane, the entire county, all came out to one location, one location to hear the call of the gospel and to respond to it. Can you just imagine if all of Spokane did, I mean, every single living person in Spokane did that. There's about 500,000 people. We're talking in in places in Africa, millions come to one location. What God is doing around the world is amazing. And we have to see and hear the things in which God is doing. We also have to see where God is at work in our church and in our families. You know, it can be really easy sometimes to think as a Christian that, you know what, the world is very reluctant to the gospel. And so it's just so hard to reach my or my. Uh, friends at my school or at my workplace or my neighbors or my family because people are reluctant. They're reticent to take on the gospel. And that's kind of the narrative that we tell ourselves, but actually statistically, that's false. So a recent Gallup poll done just conducted a few years ago uh, uh, studied unchurched and churched people. Now what they found, one of the areas of study that they found is only 2% of Christians, 2%, and invited someone who's unchurched to church. 2%. That's it. But contrary to that, what it also found is 82% of unchurched people, 82% said that they would be open to checking it out if a friend, coworker, or family member invited them. So the narrative that we tell ourselves that the world is reluctant to the gospel is a lie from the enemy. Because statistically, that's false. And you can also look in what's happening around the world and seeing the gospel is alive and active and present among people. And what it takes is faith-filled people to step into God's story and into the moment and say, you know what? It is worth it for what we do. We have to look and see not only that what's happening in our community, but in our church. I mean, just think, did you know that almost every single Sunday since quarantine took place in our church, people have been getting saved online and in person? Every single Sunday. Just a few weeks ago, we hosted baptisms. Multiple people who have said yes to Jesus during quarantine got baptized. 
It's recognizing that God is still working and he's still moving. And next week, we're hosting more baptisms. And so if that's you and you've said yes to Jesus, but you've never taken the step of water baptism, this is your chance, your moment to step into what God has for you. This is your next spiritual step in your life. If you've said yes to Jesus, but never been baptized, I want that for you. This is a chance for you to publicly declare an inward decision that you said yes to Jesus and then to publicly show that to the world that, that you are one of his, that you're not ashamed of the gospel. And so if that's you, sign up. We want you. And if you're online and, and maybe you've been uh, attending church from your home and for some reason you're not able to make it in person due to a health reason or another reason, don't let that stop you. We will figure out how we can get you baptized. I promise you that. We don't want anything to get in the way of you experiencing and taking that next step in your faith. God is at work in our families, in our friends, and in our community. And so because of that, I, the last thing is we, you had, it's, a, it's a faith step. We have to step into God's story. It, it's that moment that you have to take a step and say, yes, I'm going to do this. Because, you know, plenty of people get so close and then miss their moment. Did you know that? Plenty of people get so close and miss their moment being in God's story. I can remember all these times uh, going to church camps as a high school pastor or junior high pastor and watching all the kids on the high dive. And they're like standing at the edge there and so many get so close and everyone's like, well, there's lifeguards there. They might even have a life jacket. It's only like nine feet high. And everyone's like, do it, do it. And they get so close and then they just don't. And everyone's just like, oh my gosh. And sometimes I think heaven feels like that. Like, do it. Take the jump. Be a part of God's story. And then it's just like, oh, you know, like, why? That we have a moment that we can step into. And I wish that I could show you the next chapter of what your life looks like if you stepped into God's story, but I can't. But what I can tell you is this, is that you want to be a part of this story. This is a story that you're going to want to be a part of. Whatever God has called you to do, that mission and that the great commission of his people to go and spread the gospel here in Spokane and around the world, you want to be a part of that story. I promise you that. And you know, uh, for these last, all these weeks leading up to chapter 21, we've been reading the account of Luke, a historian who he has written the Gospel Luke, which was the account of Jesus' life and ministry, and then the book of Acts, which was the formation of the early church. And Luke, up until Acts chapter 21, something shifted in Luke. That up until this moment, he had said, here's what Jesus did, here's what Jesus did, here's what Paul did, then Paul went here, and then, and then here's the, the martyr, of the, Stephen the martyr, and then here's all these people who went to Antioch, and then this took place and that took place. And something shifted in Acts 21 where he switched the pronoun to another person to then we. I don't know if you picked up on that, but the pronoun switches where Luke steps into the story all of a sudden where he goes, we went and sailed to Jerusalem. We went and did this. We went and did that. We were here. And something changed in Luke that was so profound that even when Paul was in uh, his, writing his final letter before his execution to Timothy, what he said was, Luke alone is with me. 
something shifted in Luke so much there in Acts chapter 21 that up all the way up until Paul's death, he stuck with them and he placed himself in the story. As a historian, he goes, you know what? I was there. We went and did this. We were here, and then we were there. And you know what? There were other people in that story, if you look in verse 6, that did that missed out. That there were the other disciples who pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And there was these other disciples that said, and we went on board. And what does it say? And they went home. Don't miss your opportunity. There are people in our church that, that go, oh, I love our church. I love what they do. You know, our church, they have great worship. They have a great kids ministry. They, they really serve our community well through Serve Spokane. You know, they really reach young people and they're really involved in, you know, maybe high schools and making sure that, you know, the next generation is, is coming up. You know, they do a great job at this. But did you know there's other people in our church too that switch that little pronoun around? And what they say is, you know what, let me tell you about what we do at our church. Let me tell you about how we are reaching the next generation. Let me tell you about how we see God moving in our city. Let me tell you about how we reach out to people who are food insecure through Serve Spokane. Let me tell you about what we do. And what I want for you more than anything is for you to step and be a part of God's story through here, this local church, these group of people that we have an opportunity to step into and go, you know what? This is about me too. It's not just about them, but it is we. We have an opportunity. If you say yes and you step into that moment, that there's moments that will pass by, there are opportunities that come and go. And there are people that say, you know what? We are reaching people. We are seeing people say yes to Jesus. We are seeing people be baptized. We are seeing people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are seeing people using their giftings for the building and edification of God's church and his bride. We are seeing that. And I want that for you. And those of you, maybe just a first easy step is to join Rooted if you've never joined Rooted before, you've never gone through that. Rooted is a 10-week discipleship program, and it's a catalyst for life change. It provokes questions in conversation and has group experiences designed to give you a glimpse of your story within God's story. And you have an opportunity. You could sign up for that, and you could see how does this all play out. In two weeks, we're starting our Love Your Neighbor campaign and series. We do this every year as a church in which we try and mobilize our entire church to not only love their neighbor well and reach their neighbor, neighbor through the gospel, but then also serve our community. And we try and take in an offering and give every penny away to local uh, church partners who are doing amazing things in our church or in, in our community. And you have an opportunity through different avenues, or maybe God's placed something on your heart in your school, where you're at, at your high school, at your college campus, at your workplace, within your family. You have a call in your life that you can step into and say, yes, this moment, and no longer is it they, but it is we. We are reaching people. We are seeing people healed and wholeness and unity take place. Part of stepping in God's story is just saying yes to that. And so as a, as a first act, I want to ask you, if you've never received Christ before in your life, if you've never said yes 
to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Know that he came and he died for you and that through his love and his grace, all your sins can be forgiven and you can spend eternity with him in heaven. If you've never said yes to that, I wanna provide you an opportunity. And right before that, I just wanna to say too that we're about to take communion together during this next song. And if you're online, I uh, wanna ask you right now, go and if you have some bread or some juice, go and collect that. And during this next song, if you're at home, pray and, and talk to God and take communion. Because you know, communion is an act of taking a step into God's story. Did you know that? Every time that you take communion, it's, it can be a, a liturgical practice and it's just something that you do, but communion can also have weight and significance behind it. Because you know what communion is, is communion is, symbol, is a symbol of remembering what God already did for you and that you're a part of his story. It's remembering the sacrifice he gave you so that you can walk and move in that. And so when we take communion, part of that is saying yes to the story that you're a part of and remembering what he's done for you. And so as a church, we're gonna take this corporately together at the end of this next song. But if you're online, feel free to just take it during this song and it'll close out for you at the end of this next song. But can we pray and just pray that not only are we filled with faith and we live in faith, but we keep Jesus at the center and the forefront of our minds, of what we do, how we live. And the most important thing that we do in this world is to bring the gospel to hurting people, the gospel to a world that desperately needs it, and we can do that in faith. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you're good. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful, loving, good God, that you are for us and not against us, that you are alive and you are active. God, and we need you. Give us audacious faith, Lord. Give us faith that sustains tragedy. Lord, give us faith that sustains shortcomings. Lord, we need you. We want to put you first. And those of you who have never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Whether you are online or here in this room, if you've never said yes to him, would you just pray this prayer in your own heart and mind just while everyone's praying? And I want, I'm believing that God's going to do something amazing if you're in your life if you want to say yes. So if that's you, would you just pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I believe that, that you came for me. I ask that you would come and reside and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Make me a new person. I want to follow you and walk with you all the days of my life. And if you just prayed that prayer, just in this first moment, don't let this pass you by. As this first act of boldness, whether you're online, a button is going to show up on your screen that you can click yes. And if you're here in this room and you said yes, would you just raise your hand and say, you know, I stepped into that moment and I accepted Jesus into my life. If that was you. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Yeah. God, we just thank you so much for these wonderful individuals who are saying yes to you right now. God, we need you. Fill us, use us, send us, God, to a hurting world. We pray 
In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're gonna sing, and if you're online, feel free to take communion during this song. And if everyone else would hold on to theirs, and we're, when we're finished here, we're gonna receive communion together corporately here for us in this room.
God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Give us faith, Lord. We want to live for you. Lord, we just lift up right now in this moment all those who are so deeply affected by the fires going on around us. Those people in Washington, Oregon, um, California, Lord, God, be with them. Lord, we just pray that the fires would cease. Those who are hurting and affected by this, God, you would comfort them. That you would bring hope in the midst of tragedy. Thank you, God, for who you are. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We're so glad that you took the time to be with us today. If the message impacted you or if you would like some prayer, click the prayer link below and one of our pastors would love to talk with you. And here at North Church, we do believe in helping people grow in connected and healthy relationships. And so uh, if that's a great next step for you today, please click the connect tab at the top of the page. And we do have a pastor standing by who would love to connect with you and help find you a life group to join. We hope to see you next week. Have a good week.